What a great word that we proclaim who he is, right? Would you stand and let's proclaim together.
Thank you. 
I blew it this morning during announcements. At the end of that, I was supposed to do my cat or catechism, and I forgot. So, before we turn in turn in scripture, let's just continue on with what we're where we're going in the catechism. As we're beginning into the uh, portion of the catechism dealing with the commandments, what is the sum of the Ten Commandments? The sum of the Ten Commandments is to love the Lord our God with all our heart with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and our neighbor as ourselves. And then question 43, what is the preface to the Ten Commandments? Preface to the Ten Commandments is in these words. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you that... You have brought us your people. We read this this morning. We are a chosen race. And you have brought us, not out of Egypt, you have brought us out of bondage to sin. By your blood, Lord Jesus, we thank you today. Holy Spirit, I ask that as we study the word that you breathed, that you exhaled through the prophets, through the apostles, that, Holy Spirit, you would breathe upon these words afresh, that you would anoint them, that your word would live within our heart in such a way that it would transform us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We're looking at these verses that really serve as a pivot in this letter. The Apostle Paul is now going from teaching us all the doctrines that lay the foundation for our life in Christ. Now he is pivoting into our responsibilities in Christ. And he begins with these very important words. We studied them last week. We'll look at them again today. We'll, Lord willing, finish them next week and move into the chapter. These two verses are so important. The truth in these verses is so fundamental to everything else that we study as we go through the rest of this book. We need to understand them clearly. He begins with an appeal. Last week we looked at this. We talked about a life that glorifies God. We went back into chapter 11. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And then we asked ourselves the question, so what does a life look like? that glorifies God. And we'll go deeper into that this morning. But we see that Paul makes an appeal and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore. And that therefore ties us to everything that went before, but specifically ties us to this statement. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. 
I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. We talked about the word to present. Formal word in the scripture for the concept of a sacrifice being brought to the temple or the tabernacle and presented to God. Present. Word is also used in 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, this word, this verse that many of you kids learned, who you, if you're in Awana, I think you all learned it. Study, be diligent to show. The word show. Be diligent to present yourselves. Approved unto God. A workman that does not need to be ashamed. Why? He rightly handles the word of truth. Present. Be diligent to present yourself. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Three descriptions that modify this concept of the sacrifice that lives then... This sacrifice is holy, it is acceptable to God, and it is your spiritual, or we're also going to say logical, your reasonable, your rational worship. Don't be conformed to this world. So, a life that glorifies God is a life that is presented to God and then a life that is presented to God is no longer conformed to the world system. Rather, it is transformed by the renewal of its mind so that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then through the rest of this, He's going to tell us what the will of God is. It's that we use our gifts. That we think soberly about ourselves. That we overcome evil by doing good. That we don't go and extract vengeance from our neighbor. We give place to wrath. How do we treat the weak? Those who are weak in faith. All these things that we will see these become the characteristics of a mind that is renewed, that is no longer conformed to the world. Today, though, we want to go and we want to think about sacrifice. Present yourselves a living sacrifice. What does that mean? What is a sacrifice? You know, when we use the word sacrifice today, we probably think kind of in terms of denying yourself. We don't do sacrifices any longer, do we? We don't. There's a reason for that. There was one sacrifice that was acceptable to God. It was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But we don't do sacrifice. When we say the word sacrifice, we most often just think in terms of 
like denying yourself. So maybe we say something like, you know, he really made a sacrifice. He, he really lives sacrificial. He, he gives sacrificially. If you like baseball, maybe you say, you know, he, he hit a sacrifice fly ball to left field. But all those words that we use miss this point. When you go back in the ancient world, they didn't think of sacrifice just like denying yourself. They thought about sacrifice. They thought about an altar. They thought about blood. They thought about death. They thought about substitute. So to them, when they hear living sacrifice it almost sounds oxymoronic. I told you last week there are three words. I think that's my next slide. Yeah, there are three words in the New Testament that kind of form a family of words around this concept. So there's the Greek word thusia, which just means to sacrifice. Then there's the second word, which I won't try to say, which means an altar. But you can see it's the same family of word there in the original language. And then thusia just means to kill, to sacrifice. Not just to kill, like to go out and kill an animal to eat it, but no, to kill it specifically as a sacrifice. So, for instance, I said last week, and I said it in my prayer this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, for Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. He has been what? Killed. He died. These words form the core of what we think of when we think of the New Testament concept of sacrifice. This is important for us. In the Bible, sacrifice signifies more than homage. It signifies more than just merely worship and homage. Like coming to the deity and saying to him, you are great and you are mighty. You own everything. You created everything. Sacrifice in the Bible specifically is tied to sin, guilt, and forgiveness. Trace it with me. Genesis chapter 1, God makes Adam and Eve and they are innocent and without sin. And God pronounces over all creation, it is good. Adam and Eve sin. Immediately, they know something is wrong, don't they? When you sin, you know it, don't you? Immediately. Immediately, they knew something was wrong. They begin to hide from each other, and they begin to hide from God. 
They sew for themselves fig leaves and make aprons to cover their nakedness. What caused them to do that immediately? And God comes to them and speaks with them, and at the end of the conversation, he kills an innocent animal. They have never seen death. Some of you have never seen much of death. If you're raised on a farm or on a ranch, you see it, right? In the old days, you know, when you were going to have a chicken for dinner, you didn't go to the store to buy it. What would you do? You went out to the hen house and you found the oldest hen. And you understood that there was a link between eating meat and death. A lot of kids don't get that anymore. Something died that you could eat that steak. God kills this animal. They've never seen death. He takes its skin and he clothes them. There is nowhere in that chapter an explicit statement that says God was teaching them the concept of sacrifice. Not explicitly, but it's implicit. Because in the very next chapter, you see their two sons doing what? Sacrifice. Where did that come from? Their names were Cain and Abel. Abel is a keeper of sheep. He brings a lamb and he sacrifices it to God. Cain is a tiller of the ground. He brings the produce of the ground and he presents it to God and it is unacceptable. Put that in your mind for a minute. We'll come back to that word acceptable. Why is it unacceptable? We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Sacrifice. Noah. Noah gets off the ark. What does he do? Sacrifice. Go to the book of Job. The book of Job is before Moses. What is Job doing? After his sons and his daughters have a feast day. He is concerned. It tells us in the text... Job, as a father, is concerned that his kids might have sinned before the Lord. And what does he do? Sacrifice. Levitical system. Moses, Passover, burnt offerings, all those things. Sacrifice. It is important we understand that. Because of what we've just said, I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want you to turn there. I'm not going to put this on the screen because I want you to see it in your book. Because this is important. And keep a bookmark because we're going to come back to Romans chapter 12. But I want you to look in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to hit something really hard for a minute. Because in Christianity, a lot of times, we create a lot of legalism by not explaining something. God wants you, where you sit, to make yourselves, to present yourselves a living sacrifice. But I want you to understand something. Your sacrifice does not save you. Yeah. 
your sacrifice does not impress God at all. Let's understand that. Sometimes we preach this wrong. We preach it to kids wrong. Give yourself to God. Give everything to God. Present yourself to God. Listen, we have to understand something. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Like a newborn baby, long for pure spiritual milk. All through these verses I'm reading, there's all the same words we see in Romans chapter 12. The word there, spiritual, is the same word in Romans chapter 12 when he says, it is your spiritual act of worship. It is your logikos. He says, like a newborn infant, long for the logical milk so that by it you may grow up into your salvation if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. And you are coming to him as a what? Living. We're talking about living sacrifice. Here he's talking about a what? We are coming to Jesus and he is a living stone. He was rejected by men, but in the sight of God he is chosen and he is precious. You yourselves, like living stones, notice the word living as an adjective again, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable. Romans chapter 12 living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God because you really meant it and you gave him everything. And you were sincere. Is that what he says? What makes your sacrifice acceptable to God? Jesus Christ. And him alone. Our presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice is not initiatory to our salvation or even our sanctification. It is an act of worship that is a response to what Jesus has done. When he sacrificed himself for us, In other words, our sacrifice is a living sacrifice because his was a dying sacrifice. He died as a sacrifice, accepted to God, and his death and through his death, we find the basis of our presenting ourselves also to God. And that is the only thing that makes your sacrificing yourself to God acceptable to him. Please know that. There are religions around the world where people are much more sacrificial than Christians. Buddhists, monasteries, they give it all. And they're not saved. Your giving your all is not what saves you. What saves you is Jesus Christ. Please know that. Never get this wrong. You get it wrong, it will cost you heaven. Now, 
Oh, we're there. Okay, so let's think about Christ's sacrifice. In the book of Hebrews, there are four characteristics of Christ's sacrifice. For time, we don't have time to go. This would be a whole other study in the book of Hebrews, but it's important we note this when we're thinking about sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice was offered one time. One time for sin, forever. It was a one-time, never-repeated sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice is the basis of our forgiveness and our reconciliation. All the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to it. His is the fulfillment of all that went before, and that is why we don't do them anymore. That's why God destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. He did not want the Jewish people continuing to present sacrifice as an abomination when he had completed it. Third, it was accepted in heaven. His sacrifice was accepted by God in heaven, and it secured your access to God and mine. It is through his sacrifice that we come to him in worship. It is very important we get this concept. Now, I want you to go to Hebrews. You're in 1 Peter, so just go backwards a little bit. Go through James and get to the book of Hebrews and get to chapter 13. And I want to show you a verse in Hebrews 13 that's important in the concept. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews, who are Jewish, right? It's not rocket science, but we always forget it. He's talking to them about their leaving the Old Testament sacrificial system, which they've done all their life. And he's telling them, don't do it anymore. This is hard for a lot of these people. And he's told them all the stuff we just saw. Jesus offered himself one time to God. By his death, your forgiveness is complete. It was accepted by God, and you now have access to God. You don't have to go to the temple. The temple has been rent in two. All these things. The veil. And then he says here in chapter 13 at the end of this, in verse 15, through him, that is Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Jesus sacrificed how many times? One time. How many times are we to be sacrificing praise? Continually. Continually. This sacrifice of praise is what? It is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The sacrifice of praise is a fruit of if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what he's saying is, the sacrifice of praising God is the fruit of lips who have acknowledged his name. It flows out of you. 
That's what he's saying. Do not neglect to do good and to share for such sacrifices please God. Notice the word please him. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 living sacrifices that are holy, pleasing, acceptable, logical, spiritual service. Now let's move on. Go back to Romans chapter 12. The reason I wanted to go there is I want us to think clearly here. I don't ever want to set you up in your spirit to be a legalist that misses Christ. To think that as long as you present yourself to God, you're good to go. If it's not through Jesus Christ, you missed the whole message. Now, what does he ask you to present? What's the word? Your body. Why didn't he say heart? He could have, I guess. Holy Spirit didn't, though. Why didn't he say present your heart? Why didn't he say present your mind? Why did he say present your body? Let's think about that. To do that, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do keep a bookmark here because we're going to come back again. And I'm having you go everywhere because I want you to see it in your book. So you see it's there. I think it's important you see it's there. You know, please know that there is no authority in anything that I say. The authority is where? The Word of God. So I want you to look at it periodically here as we go through this stuff. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's look at something he says. I've got to quit talking and start turning because I can't do two things at once. Okay, let's go down to the end of the chapter. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. What do you flee from? Something that scares you to death. Run from it. Don't play with it. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of his body. Sexually immoral person, asexually immoral person, sins against his own body. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and he is within you? You have him from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body is not yours. This lie in our society that says, my body, my choice. And I don't care what you apply that to. Whether we're talking abortion, we're talking about anything. My body, 
No. God's body. I live in it. And it is a temple. And it is being built up. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2. To offer in the ground. But it's going to stand before God. And you will give an account for what you have done in the body. In the body speaks of a time. A time in your existence. Maybe it's 70 years. Maybe it's 80 years. Maybe it's 40 years. But for a time of your existence, you are in this body. And the totality of who you are is comprised within this body. And so it stands for the totality of your being in this period of time. And in the body, and the body, which was bought with a price, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's let that sink deeply. What you do to your body, God wears. I don't think we need to make lists and say, do this, do that. I don't think we do. I think we need to think realistically and truthfully that what he is saying here is this. Your body is God's temple. What would you do? Would you deface the temple of God in the Old Testament? Can you imagine going and putting graffiti on God's temple? Bunch of kids. Bunch of Jewish kids, middle of the night, get their spray paint. We're going to go deface the temple. How smart is that? It's God's temple. So let's not make lists. Let's just think deeply. Now, let's go a little bit deeper on this. In the Old Testament, what kind of bodies did God want? Now, they were substitutes and they were animals, but they were without defect. The book of Malachi talks about this. What were the Jews bringing? I understand this temptation because I have a herd of cows. Certain calves are going to do well at the sale ring. I want to sell those ones. Certain calves aren't going to do very good at the sale ring. I could give that to my neighbor, it doesn't matter. I could give that to God. It's not my best. Let's think deeper. In the Old Testament, was the body of a leper acceptable to God? No. Why? How about in the New Testament? Can a leper 
present their body that is racked with disease to God. And God accept it. Amen. How about a blind person? Amen. In fact, what did Jesus say? Story Jesus tells. They go out and they invite rich landowners to come to a feast. None of them want to come. Jesus says to his servants, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel the blind, the lame, the maimed. Tell them there's room in my house. This is why in Christ, no matter what defect is in your body, You can come to him, and he is pleased. Why? Because of Christ. You're not excluded. There's room at the cross. And no matter what thing is distorting and hurting your physical body, God wants you to present it back to him. And there's beauty in it to him. And it's all because of Christ. So, he says, present your body, living sacrifice that is holy, it is acceptable to God, and it is your logical worship. That last point means a lot to me because my body has so many frailties now I can't count them all. (laughs) And you know what? God's good with it. Because it is a thorn in the flesh to wean me of myself to trust in Him. He brought Him into my life not to maim me and to pain me and to destroy me, but to do me good. And as I present that back to him, it is a beautiful thing to him. And it is for you when you do it. It's holy. What does this mean? The word just means dedicated. For time, I've got to move real quick here, so I'm just going to illustrate it real quick. Here's the illustration. I didn't bring it. I forgot it. It's my toothbrush. You got one. If you're married, you each have one. It's not something you share, is it? You have your own. In our house, we have a lot of brushes. By our sink, we have three brushes that hang by the back utility sink. I can use any of those brushes for really anything I want. I come in and I take off my dirty and muddy boots and I can scrub them off with one of them brushes and then I can clean it and hang it back there. I can use that other brush to clean up some eggs when I get them out of the hen house. Those brushes have multiple uses and they're not owned specifically by any one of us. My toothbrush is different. It's mine and mine alone, and it has one use. 
before I brush my teeth, I don't go and scrub the toilet. Even if I'm going to dip it in Clorox. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because it is holy. It is mine and it has one use. That is holiness. You are God's and you have one use and one use alone. And it is God. That's all it means to be holy. He owns you. You were bought with a price. Glorify it. Number two, it's acceptable. The word acceptable just means it pleases him. You know it pleases your wife, guys. When we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice in Christ, think about this. The God of the universe is happy. He's pleased with that. How beautiful is that? I love to please my wife. I love to please my, my kids. My grandson Thaddeus, it's almost his fifth birthday. He's telling me all the time what he'd like to get for his birthday. You know, I really want to please him. I'm not going to go and buy him something he hates. Why? Because I want to please him. When you give your body to God, he's pleased. Wow. Think what's in your hands to be able to do. And then lastly, it is a logical act of worship. Logikos can somewhat be translated spiritual, so some translations put the word spiritual, but you can hear in the word logikos just the word logic, rational. In other words, he's saying a rational thinking person is going to do this as an act of worship. Why? Because of the mercies of God. Because of all that he's done. It's only rational. When you come in those doors, God does not ask you to check your brain at the door. We come and we sit down. We study. We are diligent to show ourselves approved unto God. We think deeply. We don't think deeply in worship to just like explode our heads with knowledge. And to be able to say to the world, I know all this stuff. I got all this knowledge in my head. No. Why do we think deeply about the word? Why do we study deeply? So that we would know God. And do you know what it does? It inflames within us an emotional passionate response we don't come to worship here and drive the emotion now some churches in America do that they answer to God for what they do we don't do that we don't want you to come in the doors and we're just going to drive the emotion and we're going to try to get you to make an emotional response to God and we're going to get you to weep and cry and come down the we don't do that you know why we don't do that because I want it to come, we want it in the Holy Spirit to come through the mind and the will. But look, 
I don't want you just to sit there like a bunch of frozen chosen either. We want that knowledge to go deeply and affect your heart and to bring forth a response. It's a rational, logical response. We live in a world that is all about feeling. I don't know if you've seen the movie, I'll close with this, about Margaret Thatcher, called The Iron Lady. It's at the end of her life, it's set at the end of life, and she looks back over all the events of her life in that movie. And as she's going through that, or they go through that, towards the end of her life, she's struggling with dementia. Much like Ronald Reagan, which is kind of an amazing thing, those two people who lived at such a pivotal time in the history of the world and worked hand in hand, and they were both such strong people that God put in governance. So here you have Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady. And she's struggling because her husband has died, and she's got dementia, and she's beginning to fail. She goes to the doctor, and the doctor sits her down, and he says, Margaret, tell me how you feel. And that doctor gets the royal chewing out of his life. She says to him, don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I think. Because what I think is what I will do. And what I do becomes my character. And my character is who I am. Ask me what I think. You know what, today? I don't want to know what you feel. What are you thinking? My dad used to ask me that when I did something really dumb. Tim, what were you thinking? What are you thinking? You know what he wants you to think? Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by renewing your mind. That's next week. Let's close. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Father, for all you have given us in Christ, Lord, may we take all you give and may we give to you all you ask. In his name, amen. Would you stand together as we sing our closing song?
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for, for the, the sacrifice, sacrifice that you have made for us. And, Lord, we are now bought. We are bought with a price. So, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would glorify yourself through our body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.